Good morning. Welcome to Downtown Church. If I've not met you yet, my name is David, and I am one of the pastors here. Uh, so excited to open up God's Word with all of you this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. So we're in the middle of our Advent series right now, and does anyone know what that word Advent means? I'm just going to treat this like a big, small group. If you know, just raise your hand. Anyone? shout it. Appearing. Advent is about the appearing of Christ Jesus our Lord. We just sang a moment ago how the Word became flesh, and John's gospel talks about that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And that's what we are celebrating this Christmas season. So the other day, uh, my wife, Allison, took our kids out of town. And when they left, I was gone to work. And when I got home, I found a note by the coffee maker. And I think we've got a picture of that. You can see it. I've actually got it here too. It was from one of my little girls, Hallie. She's eight years old. And it just simply said, bye, dad. Love you. And uh, at the moment, I was like, oh, that's sweet. And I just kept doing what I was doing. Went back to what I was doing. And a little while later, I saw the note again and I picked it up and started really thinking about it and kind of getting a little sweaty in the eyeballs, right? And I was just like, yeah, that's really sweet, you know? And my daughter took time before she left to let me know what I mean to her and that she was showing me that token of love. And I share that not just to be mushy, but uh, because sometimes we can find ourselves doing that with the Word of God. Sometimes we can come across a text or a passage, or maybe you open up your Bible in the morning for your quiet time and you just find yourself just kind of glossing over it. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times before, or maybe you're just kind of going through the motions and you miss out on the meaning and the significance of what the Word of God is saying. Today we have the opportunity to read and study God's Word. If you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read Luke 2, and I'll begin in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. May God bless the reading and the study of his word. You may be seated. Today we're going to draw three encouragements from our text. And this is all going to be about that great joy that the angels heralded in that message to the shepherds and eventually to all who were at that nativity scene. The first encouragement is this, joy emerges through complication. It might sound a little backwards, but joy emerges through complication. So there's an analogy for life that a lot of us uh, are probably familiar with. Life is like a roller coaster, right? There's moments and seasons of life that are fun, and they're exciting, and things are just clicking, and you're having a good time. Maybe your marriage is clicking, and your kids are behaving, and your car hasn't broken down this month anyways, and things just are going well. Like the bumper sticker says, life is good. But there's some other times in life, right? 
There's other seasons, unexpected twists and turns that may come along. They, they can be scary. They can be just plain hard. The angels told the shepherds that they had good news of great joy. And today we are going to talk about that joy. But before we talk about joy, let's talk about happiness for just a moment. Check this out. Uh, so happiness is based on conditions. Let me read that again. We might have that slide. Uh, happiness is based on conditions. Joy is based on a relationship. And specifically, the joy of the Lord comes from the overflow of the Holy Spirit, no matter the conditions. Do you see the difference? Happiness, the stars have to align. Work goes well, marriage is good, kids are good, life is good. It's got to align. Joy is not based on our conditions. It's based on the overflow of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the Bible actually does not promise us happiness. That might sound like an odd thing to say from the pulpit, but that's not what it promises. God does promise, however, joy. He offers great joy, as the angel said. He offers abundant joy, as John's gospel says. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 16, there's a story where Paul and Silas were traveling, and they were preaching the gospel, and they're doing ministry. They're doing miracles in the name of Jesus. And as they're traveling, they encounter this slave girl, and the scriptures say that she was given a spirit of divination, which is a fancy way of saying she had a demon that allowed her and gave her the ability to fortune tell. And so her slave owners were using her and that ability for their gain. So this slave girl begins to interrupt Paul and Silas in their ministry. And instead of casting her away from their presence, they instead cast the demon out of her in the name of Jesus. Well, the slave owners get pretty ticked. Uh, Paul's really messing with their business plan. Their 401k is shot at this point. And so they begin spreading rumors around town and try to kick up a ruckus and try to get Paul and Silas arrested. And they're pretty successful. Look what happens next. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, let's pause here for a moment. Has anyone here ever been on an international mission trip? Okay, several of you. So uh, I've been on several mission trips, and I'm so grateful for each and every trip the Lord has allowed me to go on. I, I believe he's taught me so much on each of those trips. We've actually got a couple of people in our church that are getting ready to go on a mission trip, excited about sending them off next week. But imagine with me, if you will, that you went on a mission trip to a hostile area of the world, and you're doing ministry in the name of Jesus. You're proclaiming the gospel, and you're arrested. How would you feel? Like, just being really honest, how would you feel in that moment? You'd be terrified, right? You'd be scared. You'd be wondering, what's next? 
as would anybody. But notice how Paul and Silas chose to respond despite those feelings and despite those conditions. Look at that very next verse in Acts 16, 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. (laughs) You might be here this morning. You might be thinking, what in the world was wrong with those guys? They were just thrown into the deepest, darkest part of the prison. They were just thrown into shackles. They don't know if they're going free. They don't know if they're looking at the death sentence. They don't know what they're looking at. And here they are at midnight in a dark prison cell surrounded by criminals. And what are they doing? They're praying and they're singing hymns to God. I don't think they were happy Because happy is based on what? Conditions. Things aligning. Things going well in your life. Things weren't going great in their life in that moment. But they did have something else. They had joy. They had great joy. They had that abundant joy that was overflowing in them because of the spirit at work in them. There's one more thing that I love about that text. Look at verse 25 again. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. You remember the kids' song? I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in my heart, right? Fun kids' song, but that's pretty much what was going on here. Paul and Silas had the joy of the Lord inside of them in spite of their freedom being stripped, in spite of suffering, in spite of conditions not going their way. They had joy. And how did the lost prisoners around them, how did those murderers and thieves all around them respond? What did they do? The scriptures say they listened. They're in these jail cells all around Paul and Silas, and they're just sitting against the wall just listening. They're wondering, what in the world? What's what's so different about these guys? Church, when we have joy, when we ought not, the world around us looks and they wonder. They wonder, what's going on with that guy? What's going on with that lady? Why are they so different? It intrigues them, and the gospel becomes attractive. Paul told the church at Corinth this. He said, we may be afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We may be persecuted, but we're never forsaken. We may even be struck down, but we will not be destroyed. Church, I want to make you a promise, and I can make this promise because the scriptures make this promise. When complication comes, when hardships and trials in this life come, and they will, right? When we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, when we keep our eyes on him, we will have joy, not happiness, We will have joy and be encouraged. God can and will use that joy in you to shine the light of Christ brightly for the world around you to see. For your good, 
for their good and God's glory. Amen? Let's go on to Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It reads, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, so the great joy that the angel has spoken of here is coming by way of a birth announcement. It's fun to announce when you're having a baby. Uh, I remember when we were getting ready to have our firstborn, Sam, uh, it was fun to spring that on our parents. And I remember just the, the jubilation and the joy and the excitement that came from that. But this birth announcement, this was a very special birth announcement because this wasn't just for one family. The scriptures say, look at that verse again, for unto you is born, I'm sorry, back up, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people, all the people of the world. Here's the thing about this good news. It is good news, but it only truly becomes good news for you when you receive that good news. This morning, I could give you a winning lottery ticket. I mean, I can't. But if I could, and I gave you a winning lottery ticket, and I said, hey, go enjoy your winnings. You could take it home, and you could wave it in front of your family, and you're doing a little jig. You're excited. Here's the thing. Until you respond correctly with the news, until you take that ticket and redeem it, the winnings remain unclaimed. The gift becomes good for you when you receive the news, when you act on that news. Every year, we hear this Christmas story again and again and again and again, and that's not a bad thing because we've been given the greatest news ever given, better than a lottery ticket, right? We've been given the news that a Savior, Christ, The Lord has been born. What have you done with that message? Truly, really, has that impacted your life? That Christ was born, that the Messiah came to save sinners. Has that impacted you? And make no mistake, Jesus is not a baby in a manger anymore, right? He grew into a man living a sinless life. He offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. He rose from the grave, walked out of his own tomb. The scriptures say that he ascended into heaven and right now, according to God's word, he is presently seated at the right hand of God. And everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, and I love that, Jesus is Lord, You don't make him Lord, he is Lord. You recognize that he is master. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is when this becomes good news for you. So joy emerges through complication. Let's look at this. Joy extends through company. Notice all who were present at that first Christmas. Let's look at Luke's gospel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Okay. Don't you just love a good nativity scene? Uh, we've got uh, a few in our house, and my kids love to arrange and rearrange that nativity scene. I think we've got a picture of one. Uh, that is not my nativity scene. That is stolen from the interweb. Uh, but so my kids love to arrange and rearrange that nativity scene, and every now and then baby Jesus goes missing, but thankfully baby Jesus has not gone missing this year yet. Um, there are two levels of family that we see in that nativity scene. We see a sort of biological nuclear family, right? We see Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. It was a small family, but it was a family nonetheless. And by the way, Jesus' family experienced some difficult times together. They had rumors as Jesus was growing about Mary and who Jesus' father was, and this quick wedding between Mary and Joseph. The Gospels teach us that there were some conflicts in their family from time to time. Jesus even had a redneck brother named John, John the ba- or a cousin named John the Baptist. He was uh, traveling the countryside eating grasshoppers, and uh, every family's got one of those, right? Uh, if you don't, then you might be that family member, but uh, I know I've got one of those family members. Um, so here's the thing. I think it's a pretty big deal that Jesus, the son of God, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and he had this little imperfect family. I share that to say, you might not realize this, but your family's a really big deal. I know families can be stressful. I know families can be awkward and a little weird sometimes. I know families can disrupt our routines and things that we would like to be doing at times. But get this, hear this, your family is not your idea, it's actually God's idea. If you have a spouse, God wanted you to have a spouse. If you have kids, God wanted you to have kids. If you have a mom or dad or brothers or sisters or stepbrothers and stepsisters or cousins or aunts or uncles, you name it, God has put those people in your life for a reason. So we see in that nativity scene that nuclear biological family, but we also see a spiritual family that gathers around the baby Jesus. Obviously the angels, but the shepherds and Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and eventually the wise men are added to the picture. What people think of when they hear the word church, you might get some different responses. You might hear them talk about an old church building like this one. Or maybe you hear them talk about a church service like this one. And don't get me wrong, church buildings are great. I am super excited about us purchasing this building, the steeple. We sincerely believe here at Downtown Church that God wants to use this building as a sort of lighthouse for the city of Mobile, for downtown Mobile. And so we're excited about the building. And don't get me wrong about church services. They're good. 
We should be gathering. We shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And while those things are good, please don't miss this. Church is not a place. It's not. We call this the church, but this is a building. Church is not a thing. It is a people. It is specifically the people of God through faith in Jesus, who have been indwelt by his spirit. We've been connected when we believe that gospel. We've been joined together and bound by the gospel of Jesus. Like the Christmas carol says, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. When you believe the gospel, and when I believe the gospel, and these people believe the gospel, we're joined together. We become a spiritual family. As the old hymn says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That's what happens when we believe that message. Here's the point. When we surround ourselves with family, both biological, nuclear family, family members, and spiritual family, and as we are all walking with Christ, it is a great source of encouragement and joy in our lives. In fact, I want to show you a text about this. This is Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. Paul told the church at Rome, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So a lot of times we think of faith as as very personal, right? And it is, right? It is between us and God. But a mistake that we can make is thinking it's just about us and God. What we see in the scriptures is that our faith is not simply meant to stay here. It's meant to go here as well mutually beneficial, mutually encouraging one another. Over the last few years, um, I've had the privilege of serving in the church, and I've also had the honor of serving as a hospice chaplain. And I've met a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ through the years, and I, I would kind of break them into two groups of believers. On one hand, I've met a lot of brothers and sisters that are actively plugged into their church as much as they can be at that point of life. And then I've also met another group of believers that are not. They've pulled away from the church. They haven't been a part of the church for years, if ever. They think, I have my Bible, I can pray, I can talk to God right here, why do I need other people? Can I share with you what I've noticed about those two groups of Christians? The ones that are connected with the body of Christ, actively engaged in fellowship and encouragement and admonishment, and they're mutually benefiting from other brothers and sisters in Christ, they have something that this group does not have. Although their health is fading, although they're thinking about the last moments of their life, they have joy. There's a level of maturity that's in them that is not present with this group. 
because they have pulled away from something that God intended them to experience. I share that to say this. I would encourage you to consider what kind of Christian are you? Don't get me wrong. I see you're here to church service. Kudos. Praise God. We need more than church services. It's good that we gather. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is biblical. This is God honoring. But what we also see in the scriptures is relationships, connecting people with Jesus Christ and one another. That's who we are. That's what we do. You need brothers and sisters in Christ. I need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another because the Spirit is at work and we experience God's varied grace throughout our midst. Let's go to the third encouragement for today. Joy emerges through complication. Joy extends through company. Last, joy expands through contemplation. Check out this text. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So the shepherds approach the nativity scene, what we call the nativity scene. And they share with Mary and Joseph what they've been told by the angel. And the result was that they all wondered, which means marveled. They're just in awe. They're amazed that this is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the Word who has become flesh. This is the Son of God. And they look at that baby Jesus, and they're marveling. And it goes on to say that Mary treasured up these things. She held on to those things and was pondering them in her heart. Now, we can read the Christmas story, and we can hear all of that and say, well, of course they pondered that. Of course they marveled. An angel appeared to them. Who's not going to marvel at an angel? But let me ask you a question. This book right here. Do we, church, sincerely believe that this is the authoritative, inspired, inerrant word of God? Yes? We believe this. This is from God. And yet, how often do we not ponder what God has said? How often do we not treasure up what God has told us in his word? I can't tell you how many times I've stumbled to the coffee pot in the morning and I push myself to read my Bible and I find myself just going through motions, just reading to read. Very often, I catch myself, maybe it's the Spirit checking me, and I have to remind myself, this is the Word of God. This is inspired by God Almighty. Lord, help me to read your Word with reverence right now. I need that check. We need that check, church. It's Christmas time, right? I know uh, you guys are on Christmas break, but I'm going to give you a little homework. Casey, can I do that? Can I give him homework? I'm going to give you a little homework, okay? So here's the homework I want to assign to all of us this Christmas season. 
Sometime this week, I want you to go home and I want you to brew a hot cup of coffee, maybe hot chocolate. Y'all with me so far? Y'all like this assignment? All right. Sit down with that hot cup of whatever. And I want you to read the Christmas story. And I want you to do what those shepherds and what Mary and Joseph did that day and that night. They wondered, treasured up, and pondered the significance of that Christmas story. And hey, if you've got kids, if you've got a family, I would encourage you to sit down with all of them, include them in that. Make that a family tradition to read the Christmas story together, to wonder and show them how amazed you are that Christ has come for us. In short church, happiness, it comes and goes. But the joy of the Lord remains forever. I recently encountered a sister in Christ, an elderly sister in Christ, who uh, her, her health has been fading. Her strength has left her body, but her mind was very sharp. And I stood by her bedside, and I see her hooked up to IVs, and I see she's struggling to breathe at times. But when I started to talk about the Lord, her countenance changed. I kid you not, there was a huge smile on her face. And she turned her head and looked at me. And she said, God has been so good to me. And you know what? I believed her. I wholeheartedly believed her. And that lady, that sister in Christ, she didn't have a smile on her face because she was happy about her conditions. She's had much better conditions in her life. But you know what she did have? The joy of the Lord. The overflow of the spirit inside of her. The great joy that the angels heralded some 2,000 years ago. That's available today. It was available to that sister in Christ. And it's available to you today. I don't know where you are with the Lord this Christmas. Maybe you are a Christian, but if you're being honest, you haven't really felt joy lately. And I would encourage you to consider something. If that's you, and you haven't experienced that joy of the Lord recently, maybe, just maybe, you've been looking for happiness instead of joy. Maybe you're waiting on the conditions to align, and then you can be happy. Paul exhorted the church to rejoice always. Choose joy. We have that in Christ. Amen. I'll say one last thing. Maybe you're here today and you realize you don't have that joy because if you're being honest, you're not a Christian. I do not say that in a condemning way. I say that in a very loving way and I want you to know there's an invitation for you today. Today, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. Our band's going to come back up. I would encourage you 
to consider how you might need to respond to the word of God this morning. In fact, heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to do something a little different. If you're a Christian, but today you recognize, I haven't really felt that joy lately. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. You can just lift your hand and say, I need that joy. Yeah. Lord, I pray for those present today. Lord, may we experience your joy, your abundant, exceedingly great joy that only you can bring. And Lord, if there is anyone here today that recognizes, I I don't think I'm a Christian. I don't think I'm right with God. Lord, I pray that you would draw their heart to yourself this morning. Convict them of their sin. Help them to see their need for the Savior, Christ the Lord. God, you are so good. And we thank you for what this Christmas season is all about. We ask all these things in Christ's name. 